we really don't call it haflas in back in Turkey. It was just the gatherings for us, you know, just friends getting together and dancing and having fun. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Jelena's Ballet Dance Evolution offers unique training and performance opportunities for intermediate to professional level dancers. Apply for Jelena's BD experience for a training intensive that includes four to six weeks of online training, four days of rehearsal, and a performance or audition to join BDA at one of their upcoming performances. Details you can find at joinbda.com, link in the show notes. Hello everyone, how are you doing? How is it going? So we have one more week, a few more days of still going on through this uh challenging times with quarantines and virus and all these talks and craziness and uh, mess in our regular life but you know what i just start uh, thinking about that that every day or every week is basically one day or one week closer to the time that we finally resolve and go through it and yeah it may be soon it may be not soon we really don't know but anyway with every hour every day we are closer to this resolution. So I hope you are staying not only safe and healthy, but also positive and looking forward and determined to get back to active dancing and dance life with all events, workshop, classes, um, as soon as everything is set back to normal and safe environment. But first of all, take care of your health right now and don't compromise your safety if you don't have to do anything that put you under the risk just don't do it the faster we will uh, the more we will take care of ourselves the more we'll actually help our community in general and the more all together we will get back to our uh, normal active uh, life but uh, while we are in this uh, interesting challenging uh, times i'm really happy you are tuning in to the uh, podcast and using this time to learn something uh, new and enrich your dance uh, knowledge and dance experience and today is another beautiful amazing treat for us because we have really incredible artist Ravia who is truly a passionate dancer and expert in 9-8 rhythms and here we are talking not only about Roman Hawaii rhythm you will discover a lot more and the complexity of this rhythm structure in this uh, interview Growing up listening and dancing to the complex rhythms of Turkey, uh, 
informed Rabia's unique dancing and teaching style, which is rooted in culture and tradition of Turkey. She is performing artist, researcher, instructor, choreographer, and specialist in 9-8 dances of Turkey. She performs and teaches nationally and internationally today living in the USA and she is uh, bringing her uh, education in nursing and physical education into her teaching expertise uh, too. But I am super excited. This is one of the interviews that I almost call, this is not an interview, this is more like a mini lecture for you because she shared so generously so much information that is so hard and difficult to find in something that we don't even know but we don't know it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. It's so easy uh, with accessibility to information. It's so easy sometimes to think oh we know really deeply and good this topic but then there is so much stuff hidden really and not really showcased even on the internet yes we have so much technologies and uh, such a great access to so many resources but there are a lot of resources still missing on the internet so this is one of those revealing talks that will definitely show um, holes in your possibly knowledge and understanding of Turkish dance of 9-8 rhythms of a Turkish Roman uh, music and uh, I'm really happy to share it with you. There will be a lot of names of songs uh, suggested for you to research and listen to so prepare a paper and a pen to write them down. Also I want on a technical note just to let you know that we had a little technical uh, sort of like difficulties in the very beginning and the conversation was a bit echoey but we fixed it quite soon so just uh, bear with the first like five minutes of the interview and know that uh, it will get uh, way easier to listen and uh, enjoy uh, the conversation but still uh, there is a lot of uh, very valuable information from the very beginning of this interview till the very end uh, so I highly encourage you don't skip everything and listen we really talked about different topics not only about uh, music but also about culture and social life uh, of Turkish uh, community and uh, how they interact and what what role dance and music play there to obviously uh, music talk and dance talk about 9-8 rhythms as well as even touch the historical roots of Turkish uh, belly dance and what role this dance form has in Turkish cultural history. So with all that uh, I uh, know I already intrigued you enough so let's just dive right into the conversation. Hello, dear Rabia. Welcome to our podcast, Verdant's Life Podcast. And thank you for agreeing to participate and uh, becoming now a part of our podcast <laughs> guest community, I guess. Thank you so much, Anna, for putting this uh, together for belly dance community to, to um, educate themselves and also be part of it. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. So I would love to start from the very beginning. I know that you grow up listening to dance and music and it was part of your like life, but uh, I would love you to share those memories and also the transition that you start thinking about dance as a potential profession. How did that happen in your life? Um, this is a great question, actually. Um, you know, I think 
one borns in a country that doesn't necessarily mean that they actually, um, you know, become a professional dancer. That happens in later life. Um, although that we had and I had an advantage of listening the rhythms and music, which um, um, was my benefit, which was to my benefit. And um, I, um, I mean, thinking about those days, it's me and my sister, actually, uh, we would have the social gatherings and um, my mom um, would ask to play and sing. It's the one of those, um, what we call is tumbek. It's basically is a tumbek handheld drum. And um, so we would go and Aisha and my youngest sister's name is Aisha and Aisha and I will go and we'll dance and they'll be like, oh, Aisha and Robbie dance wonderfully, you know, have them dance. And we just, we're kids. I mean, we're just the kids. We're just having fun. It's not like, you know, that's what kids do. You know, every time that, and that, that was, and then when you think about it, the um, part of the town that I grew up in Turkey is Denizli Chivril. I mean, Chivril is close to East the Aegean region. And uh, um, we have a lot of um, odd rhythms that played in that region as well, like Zabex. And then like, um, you know, um, we have a, a another 9-8 rhythm is, um, called Jemilam and Burdurha. It's just so many variety of 9-8 rhythms, so odd rhythms. And also Roman Havasa is the, another, you know, uh, music that had played. So that was, of course, you know, advantages of my um, dancing. And uh, as I grew up, though, when I started my um, at formal education at an elementary school when I've started to be part of the Turkish folkloric team. So um, assembly, Turkish folklore assembly. So I just kind of um, entered into the Turkish folklore community with that as a, at an early age with my sister, by the way, with my youngest sister, Aisha, and she has a beautiful voice and she dances beautifully as well. And um, so, but as a kid, you really don't think of like this is gonna become a part of your life. You just doing it as an extracurricular activity, or it's just a part of the school's um, requirement. It just you do it. You just do it. It's just you just naturally do it. And you, if you go to Turkey, travel to Turkey now, um, it's the same way. It's the same way. It's an option for kids to whether to be part of the uh, volleyball team or whether to be part of the Turkish Folkloric Assembly or, you know, they can do any other different the theatrical uh, or musical. You know, it's that's kind of like same thing when you when you compare I don't know if it's comparing you know, oranges and apples, but when you compare it in anywhere in the country, if kids are going to ballet and then if they're pursuing the ballet later in life, then they become a ballerinas, right? So, um, and I just, that's how I've started. And then it just fascinates me um, that how dance and how music has power in our lives and I like the concept of getting everybody together under one roof 
via celebrations and via dance and via music. Because when music plays, everyone stops and everyone starts dancing. You know, everyone starts having fun. It just um, it, it just becomes part of you and it becomes part of me. And I am. I just want to say it, that I am really good at dancing 9-8. I am. It's just part of me. It's just every time I hear it, whether it's, say, um, Turkish Roman, it's just I'm so good at dancing odd rhythms. I don't know what it is. It's a God-given talent maybe, but it just it just resonates me more. I'll have a hard time with four four rhythms, believe it or not. I'll, it will take me, yeah, it will take me um, a little bit longer to um, learn something on four four rhythms versus nine eight or um, sevens. You know, it it just it, it just it just me on that part of it. And I just continued, and I um, continued throughout my nursing school, and I also have, um, as well as formal education-wise, and I also have a physical education and dance degree from Anadolu University. So I did folkloric dances, as well as um, modern dance and whatnot at the University Life. And um, it's just, like I said, it just become part of me without expecting that was going to become part of me. And uh, when did that switch for you? Was it uh, you still in Turkey or you already uh, moved to USA that you start thinking about actually having dance not just as a like part of daily life and I don't know, not even hobby. It's literally just part of the daily life uh, that something just happens. But uh, you start thinking about or maybe like performing professionally or teaching or did it happen naturally? How was that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, in, when I moved to, you know, I immigrated to Alaska out of places in, um, in, in the United States. I was still in um, college. So after I graduated college, um, I moved to Alaska in 2002 and later 2002. So um, before then, I was just performer. I was a performer. I was performing. And um, along with the university, along with, you know, in Turkey, however, um, I was teaching kids, but I wasn't teaching Turkish folklore. So I was teaching um, volleyball and I was teaching um, uh, sports related activities to two kids. So uh, but I have my um degree of physical education and dance and as well. So um, what had happened for me is when I moved to Alaska in 2002, I started dancing um, myself in Alaska. So you kind of, you miss, I, I mean, when I moved, I miss the music, I miss the culture, I miss a lot of things. And that was part of me, and I wanted to continue. And uh, there was a, a Turkish restaurant called Istanbul Cafe, and I started dancing at Turkish uh, restaurant. And I was teaching at my garage um, Turkish dances in Anchorage, Alaska, to do my neighbors and to the ladies that who actually wanted to come and dance. I just wanted to have that 
gathering again, you know, more than anything. I Because I know the music brought people together and dance brought people together. And that was the biggest drive for me versus, you know what I mean? Because I miss that so much. And uh, so, and I just kind of started with that. And there was this beautiful lady that who uh, was, I had no idea there actually was a belly dance community in Anchorage, Alaska, when I was um, dancing, you know, I went, when I was teaching at my garage, so I had no idea. And then I was introduced to a belly dance community in Anchorage, Alaska, and there was some beautiful dancers that um, who uh, were teaching, and I just like, you know, connected with them. I said, so I introduced myself, I connected with them. And then I've joined their classes as well, and I took some classes with them. And I and then they started inviting me to the some of the events that they held, as far as um, you know, the belly dance events and the gatherings. And I was like, yeah, and hofless. So what they call is hofless here, right? But we really don't call it Hoflas in back in Turkey. So, or back in, in anyhow, so back in where I came from, it was just the gatherings for us, you know, just friends getting together and dancing and having fun. And uh, so when they had the Hoflas, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is such a treat. I'm going to have a great time and we're going to just, um, you know, connect with each other and get to know each other and just we're going to get up and dance. Uh, but what I observed was people were dancing for us versus us dancing all together. Dancers, so it was, um, it was a little bit of a, difference in my um like I was like oh yeah I thought it was the um social gathering so everybody's gonna get up and dance but versus Hoflos is interpreted different here because there you you have a dancer that on stage and they're dance for you they're perform for you it's actually it's kind of like a recital but it, but it actually is a recital versus a hafla. So I kind of was um, like, oh, okay, that this is good. You know, it is still a part of um, my um, music, and this is part of the music that they play and dance and have fun and enjoy. And I, um, I really, really honored that, and I really, really enjoyed it. And. Um, at first, I was like, when I got up and danced um, 9-8, and I kind of like invite everybody else, um, everybody was like, Rabia, would you please teach us? Rabia, would you please teach us? Would you please teach us how you're, you know, how you're dancing 9-8? And um, I just like, well, I enjoy dancing, and I can teach um, Turkish folklore, and I can definitely... Um, you know, interpret a 9-8 rhythm into where where people can understand and perform and understand the concept. This dance is actually for everybody. It's for um, for social gatherings, like for hoflas. So everybody should get up and dance 9-8 or, or any other kind of music. So that's um, that was my goal in mind when I was like, seriously considering about teaching, teaching. So I started my professional teaching career in Alaska. 
And back then, uh, obviously, according to your uh, story, <laughs> they didn't... Uh, for people, 9-8 was very new and unusual. But uh, during the time at those haflas, uh, did you hear a lot of uh, Turkish music performing? Maybe not 9-8, but other Turkish music. Other Turkish music, Tarkan. Oynama şıkıdım şıkıdım. Oynama şıkıdım şıkıdım. Ah, yanar döner. Yeah. Tarkan um, was the music that played. I didn't hear 9-8. So that's why I wanted to bring that flavor of um, and the experience and the flavor and then the, um, you know, and also more than that, I just, again, I'm keep telling you this, but just because that's what I teach dance for. I truly believe dance has a power to bring people together with music in mind. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you are. You connect with dance. And my intent was like, have people dance 9-8 so they can connect to each other. And with the music, whatever the music might be saying and interpret that music with gestures and with um, smile on their face and just connect and have fun. What was the most, the trickiest part in teaching people 9-8 and also given that concept of social dancing? Because uh, in North America, first, uh, like not only North America, all over the world, foreign, let's say, ballet dancers, they like to break down everything. And you didn't learn this dance by someone breaking it down. You learned it mm -hmm. in a natural way. So... As well as people typically, then they come to ballet dance class, they just want to, yeah, it's a social, but still we are on our own. It's not the concept of like, oh, let's dance and have par like party and fun together. It's different than what you experience at meetings and parties and gatherings in, in Turkey. I assume, but I'm curious to know, was there any like tricky parts during the teaching process uh, of people, like first of all, teaching 9-8 and also this breaking these barriers and putting people actually to dance together rather than learn and perform for each other afterwards. Um, yeah, there are many tricky parts, many tricky parts. First of all, it's not the, it's a, it's odd to Western ears. They haven't really heard the 9-8 rhythm. So first you have to train the brain in order to train your muscle. And how you train your brain is repetition and connecting and having them sing, first of all, and having them literally play with their hands, meaning like finger snaps, you know, and um, counting is another one. Counting is something actually uh, with nine eight is is trickier uh, because it's not one two three four five six seven eight or five six seven eight. Let's start. So uh, what I've done in my 
curriculum and the the structure of my lessons, how what I developed was, of course, these are all trial and errors, by the way, you know, because um, as I was telling you, 9-8 is my passion. Yes, I have a formal education in Turkish folklore, um, but in college, and we danced 9-8, but we really didn't learn um, as far as how to break down the Roman Havas in college. They're doing that now because uh, we'll go, we'll, I'll explain that later. But um, so I had to do the skeleton of the rhythm first. I had to listen and I had to like sit down and do the skeleton of the rhythm, how I would teach to somebody that who never been danced and never been exposed to this rhythm. I was like, okay, these are the methods. And I had my tools because my background in nursing, first of all, and my background in teaching and physical education, it's like gave me the tools to work with. I just needed to find my way. And my way was um, music. Because when music starts playing, it's just like, um, it's a healing effect of music is incredible. And um, also when you listen something repetitively, you get familiar with it. So uh, I've just, I was like, okay, so let me just take it. My first class, I was like, let me just take a deep breath. and never forget that. It was at Studio Pulse, uh, official 9-8 first class, official class. I was giving classes at my, you know, garage and all, and they were just like having fun, and I would have a bunch of food, and that was just kind of like missing home and just trying to bring people together. And uh, but the official class at Studio Pulse, um, I had uh, downloaded a musical uh, playlist of Nine Eight by uh, artists that who is actually playing Nine Eight and um, in Izmir region. There's a different regions of Nine Eight musics, by the way, that's played among Turkey. And um, anyhow, so long story short, it was Mastika. So the the first music that I've used was Mastika. It was fast. And when I first played it, everyone kind of kind of turned their head and looked at me like, what did just that happen? So <laughs> I imagine because I, I do like, know the song what? and I encourage everyone who is listening now, just go online and, and search Mastika yeah. to know that to have the idea what they're talking about. I was like, what did this happen? Um I um, just started from beginning to the end. I've sang the song and I sang the song with them. I turned it off. I've sang the song with the accents and I emphasized the um, counting and I've emphasized the, so the counting, not the musical way of counting, not like one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, but I counted one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And I was like, must stick must you know, I was keep singing the song, the whole class. At the end of the class, I literally felt like I lost my voice. And um, we had a great time. 
And I still have a small clips and videos of those classes. And hopefully one day that's my project to put everything together, like to show me actually as a teacher how I started back in 2003s or 4s and, and then how I progressed in my teaching method. You know what I mean? Because we as teachers need to look back in order to benefit our students, because uh, after all, teachers are lifelong students themselves, because you have to educate yourself in the teaching methods and adapt yourself in order to teach. So as you can relate probably to with your students. So um, it's, it's a big task. It's so, it, but it's a fun task. It's a big, but a fun task. So, um, I mean, I'm looking back. These are, I've, I've accomplished a great um, things in Alaska. I've taught 9-8. I mean, I had a group of students that who studied with me longer term. And um, I think there are some, some are teaching now. And being able to, they now have to break down the, um, the rhythm and they know how to teach the rhythm and of course they're using you know when you teach a dance you learn from different students I'm sure they're you know they have um, they're continuing to evolve themselves as a teachers as well and so be able to give the best and best practice for their students to um, excel yeah. Uh, that's an awesome uh, story of uh, how, like, just out of uh, passion and wanting to uh, bring people together, it developed into something like uh, Teacher 98 in Alaska. <laughs> Why not? Um, when you're talking about 9-8 rhythm, because for most ballet dancers, uh, they will right away associate it with Turkish Romani uh, Hawazi, Roman Hawazi uh, rhythm. Hawazi. <laughs> I love your Turkish sancho because I took Chikulish Houston. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, but uh, I feel that this rhythm is much bigger than just Hawazi rhythm. And uh, uh, what you're telling, can you maybe just give some names or give a hints? Uh, because, of course, we won't be able to go deep into every possible music and dance style that uses uh, this rhythm. But maybe you can just give a couple of names so people can uh, spark their interest, let's say, so they can try to look deeper and uh, maybe clarify. Because 9-8 is far beyond just Turkish uh, Romani, uh, Roman Hawazi rhythm. Yes, you are absolutely correct. It is not only 9-8 rhythm doesn't just define Turkish Romani dance, Roman Hawazi dance. It also is a rhythm in Turkey, different regions. Um, it's a heavily played rhythm. It's, um, for example, Kashik, some of the Kashik Havases in Burdur region are played in 9-8 um, rhythm, 9-8 time signatures. And um, there is a Karshalama Black Sea region um, has a 9-8 um, rhythm of Karshalama. 
and there is a which I've danced to it, Jimmy Lam, song of Jimmy Lam. If I were to sing it, see, this is actually is in the um, the same concept of odd rhythms, and of course there's Karshalama. Karshalama is not only um, is a um, Trakian region. Yes, there is a Karshalama in Trakian region, but there is a Karshalama in Giresun in um, Turkey as well. So, um, and also I just kind of want to mention to you that 9-8 time signature within Turkish Romani separates as well. There is Aksak, there is um, Slow, there is Gaida, I mean, there are so many different 9-8 within just Turkish Romani as well. When you talk about Aksak and Gaida, do you mean songs or is it some... Uh... Music. I'm meaning the musical note, how they play. I'm relating to the music. So um, I'm in the process of... I've actually developed a, a series. It's called Anatomy of 9-8. And I taught my first series, and then um, the, with this series, what my goal is to teach the 9-8 rhythm of Turkey, not just Turkish Romani. For Turkish Romani, Havasa has, again, which I was telling you, there are songs, but the way that they play is what I am interested in because the um, accents changes. For example, accent, I just want to give you an example. So accent could be one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two. Or accent could be one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. Or accent could be at the beginning, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two. So structure changes. That's the, uh, I see that as a skeleton of the 9-8 music. So I look at the skeleton. When I look at the skeleton, that's the foundation. And then when I um, go in deeper, when the melodies comes in, like uh, zills or or um, clarinet or or the guide instrument, instrument guide itself, and when they come in, those are the muscles of the song. That's how you come with the taksim as a dancer. Then you become a live instrument on stage, which means that you are interpreting each musical instruments on the stage knowing that you're dancing to Gaida or you're dancing to Slow Roman or you're dancing to um, Aksak. So, you know, what I, it's, it's very, I know, I'm nerding out on this. I really am nerding out. And some, some things are really cooking big in my um, neck of the woods because I moved to uh, Virginia Beach from Anchorage, Alaska, and I took my passion of 9-8 dance to a, into a evolving and challenging to myself as well, by the way. It's not just challenging to anybody else, but to myself as well. Now, I'm actually absolutely thrilled to go even deeper into this topic because my brains are right now burning. Like, 
I've never like considered those terms like Gaida or Aksak anything else than just names of songs. And now yeah. you're referring to them as something different, like as something yeah. more like a structure of the rhythm. So if I understood correctly, like I really, if you don't mind, let's break it down because I think for many dancers it will be like eye-opening right now if that's if I understood correctly. So the Turkish Romani rhythm, the way I know it, it has like, if you count on nine, it has accents on one, three, five, seven, eight. Seven, eight, one, three, five, seven, eight, yeah. So that's yeah. Awesome. Do you mean that this is not the only one a Turkish Romani rhythm with those accents? There is something else? Because this is what most of the ballet dancers would consider and know as, oh, this is Turkish Romani rhythm. And that's how most of us will identify. Is it Turkish Romani song or not? Does it have these specific accents or not? So can you clarify a little bit? Does it have anything to yeah, do with I... the storms guiding Aksak and everything else? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so uh, dancers-wise, so the musician and dancers interpret the uh, rhythm a bit differently. Dancers uh, accents, so the, what you're teaching is to your students, one, three, five, six, seven, eight, is you're teaching your students to basic rhythm of how to recognize the Turkish Roman Havasa so they can adapt to the accent. So it could um, be the it could be the Aksak, it could be the Gaida, it could be the Arab, whatever that they're playing, or it could be the fast Roman. I'm not referring to the uh, pop popular Roman nowadays days. I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to my roots of all traditions, all traditionally ones, traditional Roman. So um, what I'm trying to um, accomplish for myself is that I'm looking at the rhythm itself, how it's played by the musicians, how it's played by the musicians. So then when I teach, because I'm teaching musical instruments too, right? So then they understand how to use the cells with the aksak or gaida, how they music accented or either it's in the beginning then it's going to be changing the, the dancing is that's what the um how should i explain this with a simplicity so um think about a think about a um simple way of eating yogurt so you would just eat the yogurt just plain right um, but some people like it with salt and some people like it with fruit in it. So um, I look at the, I know this is the simplest term. This is nothing to compare anything. So I don't want to, you know, music is way more <laughs> than yogurt. But what I'm trying to say is that I'm giving a little bit of a flavor by teaching dancers to, you're going to start with an accent. Because music is accenting right here on stage. You're going to learn the accent one, three, five, seven, eight, but you're going to accent seven, eight first and then one, three, five. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, it is um, so adapting to music that's playing. That's how dancers become live instrument on stage.
when they connect with the music. So it's basically the structure of the rhythm remains the same. In structure, I mean, in terms of accents, but it depends yeah. on the melody on top or depends on the musician or depends on your dance preferences. You may put emphasis on different, even within this basic structure, you will emphasize it differently depending on many other factors. That's That's sort of like what it is? That's what's, yep, that's sort of like what it is. So, um, because the music, again, musicians, when they play Gaida, they accent at the beginning and, or they accent at the um, middle of the song. That's what um, I'm referring to in terms of being able to connect with the music, exactly what you um, kind of, you know, explained a little bit. So the structure stays the same one, three, five, seven, eight, for teaching purposes, because it's easy for students to learn if they're never danced to that. But if they want to advance dancers, they want to kind of like, oh, okay, so what else we can do in here? I see. So it's like another layer of topping on your yogurt. (laughs) Another, yes, another layer of topping. I know, it's like... But um, that's that's what's cooking in my neck of the woods, and um, and I'm actually having a great time by kind of kind of looking into these rhythms and uh, learning myself as well, because um, when I connect the dots, how you can use your muscle memory and you connect with your music and the. Obviously, your brain is the one that's sending the signals because I see dance as a therapeutic um, in many levels. And because with dance, if you think about it, with dance, you are in the moment. You're not doing anything else. When you're dancing, when you're completely within the rhythm, whatever the rhythm might be, in this case, it's 9-8. Some people think it's hard to learn. It's not. Anybody can learn it. Anybody can dance to it. And um, and some people say, well, you have to born in Turkey to dance it or you have to be Romani to dance it. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You can dance to this beautiful music and keep the traditional music alive and passed on to your students so they can pass on to the other generations. That's how we preserve. That's how we um, make history in music. That's how we recognize the minorities. That's how we recognize the people. That's how we connect. So I go back to connecting again and connecting people via dance and via music and um it's bigger than just nine eight and dancing for me. It's it's bigger than that. Yeah. Well, there is another also aspect that I just cannot avoid not asking and maybe going again nerding deep into this topic. But for many dancers, the word uh, karshlama is very confusing. And many people will think that it's Turkish Romani dance. There is a lot of uh, confusions here and... Can you again, like, because this is also the from the family of nine eight? 
But can you clarify, give some guidance to dancer? What is what and where possibly Karshlama and Turkish Romani dance cross and connect and where they are very like different do they have any connections or are they completely different like again because there is a lot of um i guess because it's not that much information really available and that's another topic that uh like uh, uh that's actually is a separate topic yeah. to really like i know i can uh, we can dig into this nine eight Maybe we can do another podcast on just nine eight, so I can actually sing these songs to and the rhythms, and that the people that who listen to this podcast can benefit from it. But what I can tell you about Karshalama, first of all, we have to understand the word of Karshalama, and it's been written all over the you know internet as well. And I'm gonna say it one more time: Karshalama means that people. Um, face to looking at each other face to face it's a dance that danced as a partner so dance with a partner so first of all and um that could um that could why uh, is so the karshloma when they say karshloma 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 i recommend that they use um do dance the folkloric Turkish folkloric Karshlama of Tekirdağ, Karshlama of Edirne, Karshlama of Giresun, Karshlama of um, wherever the region, wherever the dance is coming from, to identify and separate from Turkish Romani, first of all. Because when you are dancing a Tekirdağ Karshlaması, Tekirdağ Karşılaması has its own uh, footsteps and its own um, vocabulary of Turkish folkloric um, the, the music. I mean, the um, Turkish folkloric dance, what I'm trying to say. When you differentiate with the city that Karşılama dances belongs to, that totally separates the uh, Roman Havası. So in the music... Indie music is what I think is having a um, little bit of a challenging for dancers because every time, whenever they hear 9-8, they're like, oh, yeah, it's Karshlama. Oh, yeah, it's Turkshuma. Oh, yeah, it's Karshlama. So it's the being able to separate it is what's important. So how you separate it is, first of all, the listening to the music. But Karshlama plays fast and 9 is played in Karshlama. You'll hear the nine. But how you gain the, this understanding is, again, um, you first of all, as a dancer, my recommendation for dancers that who really want to learn and perform Tekirdağ Karshlaması, Edirne Karshlaması, or Giresun Karshlaması, or Kırklareli Karshlaması. These are cities, by the way, that the names that I used are the cities in Turkey. Um, I recommend them to listen the music first of just these reasons, these uh, cities, um, the Karshlama of the music. So once they listened, that's all they're going to do, though. They literally have to listen to this music and 
try to hear the nine, how it's actually played. And it's played fast. So, um, and then as their homework, they can listen to Arabum. It's a Romani music, Turkish Roman Havasi. And then they can listen again, um, some of the um, Slav Turkish Romani musics. Then their homework, it's a homework, it's a homework. Because you gotta, you know, if you want to become a dancer um, that who really want to learn, you need to set a time to practice and set a time to study, just like anything else. Then they can compare and contrast within each other. With how it's crossed, you ask a very great question of how it crossed. So I want to go over that. When Turkish Romani, um, Turkish Romani dance, by the way, has very, uh, very um, distinctive movements. One of them is the Göbekatma, and the other one is finger snaps, right? So uh, these are the distinct movements of Turkish Romani dance. So when you go into footsteps, so I, um, there's a very basic Turkish Romani footsteps. I call that at a basic level one, basic one. Basic one is the back wind. I call it as the back wind. So because you use your foot, um, heel, flat, toe and then you so right heel flat toe left back left heel flat toe right back right heel flat toe left back left heel flat toe right back so you keep you don't step forward you step backwards yeah i know so, i'll just add some teachers i know they call it a side uh, step or turkish harmony a side step so for some dancers to have a little more Im imagining yeah, which yeah, step yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about right yeah. now so yeah, yeah sorry yeah. please continue <laughs> yeah so uh, like i said you know everybody has a different method of teaching so i call it back wind because your foots are winding in the back um and and that to separate it so anyhow um so that is one of the two, actually, two uh, dance movements, just strictly Romani, strictly Romani. And when you see those other fancy steps that we use, they are coming from Karshilama. Mm. What is the second step? So the first step is this, uh, the one that you just described, and the second step... You said there are uh, two steps. Uh -huh. Oh, the Göbek Atma. Göbek Atma and the, the simple step that I've just mentioned to you. If you look at the videos of um, like really social gatherings of Romanis, that I, I, I love watching our elderlies dancing and they're they're like uh billies i mean it's so amazing it's it's so incredible how they you know use it and how they um use the simple step they use the simple step that's all they do and they use the finger snap and they use the simple step which which used called it as a side step but i call it back wind 
So you mean the second movement that is strictly Romani is the belly movement? That's what you meant? Uh -huh, belly ah, movement. okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, second mm -hmm. one is the belly movement and then the um, the back wind step. But that's my observation and that's my study for years and that's my dancing from since childhood. So um, also day two across because in 2000 um a year of 2000 turkish romani dance was um recognized as a turkish part of the turkish folkloric dances in turkey and when the year of 2000 uh, it evolved so now we're taking a social dance that dances among people and we're putting on the stage so when you put it on the stage, and there's a beautiful research article um, published by Gonja Girgin Tohumju. I would highly, highly recommend for dancers to um, read that her research. And she is amazing. She put, she's a musician herself. She's a scholar. And she has a book on Amazon and if anybody wants to, um, you know, learn more about it, it's 9-8. So um, long story short, so you put a dance that is a social dance onto the stage. When you put it onto stage that you are using a more foot vocabulary and foot steps from Karshalama. So oh, I see so that's how it crossed a little bit. But it's uh, controversial, though. So <laughs> in terms of, you know, what's Karshlama, what's not. But um, what I found, these are from my findings, that some other, some people might differ, and I respect them. And, um, and I'm, I, because going into this anatomy of 9-8 series and trying to connect the rhythm and trying to build something to help the dancer in long term to become a better dancer, I wanted to understand more in details of the movements, how differs female movements versus male movements. So this is what I found, the Gobek Atma and the basic back wind step was the steps that's like literally this structure and strictly um, belongs to Turkish Romani dance. That's so fascinating. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. And I just remember like revoking my own like uh, memories because I studied uh, Turkish uh, Romani dance with Reyhan Tusus. Yes. Uh -huh. And I remember just seeing in the beginning because uh, we see a lot of, let's say, fancy uh, performances on YouTube and by foreign dancers, by Turkish dancers too. But I remember what amazed me the most the very first time I saw her live before dancing she was on stage but she like she brings a lot of just how it is in social environment but i remember seeing the whole performance she barely did any steps around she basically was on one spot uh, for the entire performance and you can just see her and uh, it's mesmerizing and it was like you realize but it kind of looks like she she's for untrained eye it looks like she's keep doing the same thing because the movements they are so subtle and she's not trying to perform you know like to impress the audience she's just performing also 
I had the sensation, again, this is just my experience, but I had a feeling that she was not performing for us. She was letting us watch her dancing. Exactly. Exactly. Isn't that great? It's just because dance is something you do it for yourself. And you did when you dance, when you have fun, and when you do dance in that context of um the social dancing and the, you just drawn into it. You just drawn into it. This is what happened with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And but this is something very difficult for uh belly dancers. Uh, who are trained to always think think about your projection of energy, think about connection to the audience. And here it's something that you almost all as if you are more looking inwards in yourself than you're doing it. Not that you are like totally ignoring people around, but it's it's more about you rather than about performance. Mm-hmm. That's for me, at least, how I feel it. Uh. I mean, um, you can definitely tell when the dancer is actually dancing with connection and when the dancer is not really connected on stage. I can tell. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you can too, so... <laughs> I'm sure, like audience, if not to tell, but at least you will feel it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and how about your project? You briefly mentioned um, the anatomy of nine eight. So, is it gonna be a series of lecture, or is it you're putting uh, articles or online project? Can you tell a little bit more? Because I'm sure now all dancers, listeners, just jumping on the chairs like I want more, I want more. Where I can like learn in the future and study more. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the project is Anatomy of 9-8. I um, named it Anatomy of 9-8 because of my nursing background and also my teaching background also as a dancer, as a 9-8 dancer. And um, so I am going into deep in details of the musics that played in Turkey that are 9-8 time signature. And I'm teaching uh, the structure of the notes, structure of the music, how it's actually structured and um, the connection between um, like the muscle movements of the what, you know, how, how to connect with the um, music. And then I'm going over, which I briefly mentioned earlier in our conversation to um, teaching that dance also playing musical instrument while dancing and while singing to it. So my goal is to uh, go over all nine, eight rhythms within Turkey, not just Turkish Romani, but cover everything to um, help dancers to understand better in details. And it is going to be, hopefully, um, I have some projects that online, nowadays days, it's a great time to do online classes. So one of them is that, yes, it's it's in cooking. And I've been teaching this um, in-person class series at Seven Cities Dance Studio, and they're the host for East Coast Classics. In, East, in, in Eastern region of um, United States. And uh, that's what I've been teaching at um, Seven Cities Dance Studio 
but um, this material is going to be available and um, goal is to um, publish it goal is to publish it mm, awesome so we can uh, we can wait <laughs> we can wait <laughs> and look forward to it uh, that's awesome also, before we kind of uh, switch a little bit to another, like a little bit bigger topic, uh, I want to ask you because you mentioned the whole work for our listeners to go and listen to music of like specific only like separate regions first. But before that, we mentioned the song Mastica, and I'm pretty sure we also encourage people to go and listen to it if they never heard. So once they will be listening, can you tell a little bit just briefly like about the song and what exactly? is the song from which music and then style it is so people can understand and have a hint because now we ha- we told them to go and listen to that stuff <laughs> yeah so uh, it's um mastica is a it's pretty fun if you listen to the lyrics of mastica it's actually pretty funny <laughs> in a way just because it says, oh, mastica, mastica, oh, she shed all the malvara, alayim kuzumavirikutu boya. So it says, you know, mastica is the name of the song. And um, it says, she says that there is a bottle of, um, bottle of, of goodies that I'm going to buy for my daughter. It's just, that's what the lyric says, right? And um, so this song is, um, it's a Romani song. It's a Turkish Romani song. And uh, and it's, it's a, um, are you wanting to know the difference in these songs? Is that just wanted to understand the question a little bit of the details oh it's up to you if you feel like sharing i just wanted to for people to understand once they hear mastica because we talked about so many different styles and oh is it kashlama or is it turkish romani so at least they have can have some reference point okay this song is this style so i can at least start from here <laughs> yes yes for example dirt beggar is dirt beggar is um, Turkish Romani song, Dirt Beggar. It's, um, and the Mastika is the Romani song. As well as they can probably search songs like Gaida and Aksak. Those songs Gaida are... and Aksak, yes. Uh, and Arabum. Arabum is the another song that they can listen to it and get familiar with it. Can you maybe throw a couple of names of famous Karshlama uh, songs of different regions, if there are any? Uh, just a couple, again, for people to have a little reference, or like this song is, like, now I understand what it is, and then I can try to search and educate myself more from here. Okay, so I earlier mentioned some of the Turkish folkloric dances, that um, Turkish Karshlama um, which is Kırklareli Karşılaması. Um, so Edirne Karşılaması is E, um, it's E-D-I-R-N-E Karşılaması. Oh, so people can literally just search by the name of cities. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So those are, those are folkloric songs. It's not the song. It, this is like Turkish 
that's like really uh, patented, I would say. Is it correct term? Um, it, it is the Karshalama song of that region, of that city, right? But um, I think they... Mahbure, Mahmure. Yastık çekerek Mahbure. And that's a Karshalama song by um, Jandan Erçetin. And um, that's it. That's that's the rhythm that's used is um, Karshlama rhythm in Mahbure, and that is can be used for belly dancing, definitely. Here, let me just um, make sure. Okay, so the first person that who sang that was uh, Nuket Duru. It's N U K H E T. D U R U. So that's the name of the artist. So um, that's already um, also sent by John Danarchitin too. So they can listen to it. So kind of, you know, see the difference. Mm. Thank you so, so much. That's so awesome. And uh, uh, additional homework for dancers, but I'm absolutely sure they're very grateful now for you giving them additional work to do. Because truly, it's uh, difficult sometimes to find any like guidance or information. And then you sometimes think, oh, like I understand, but then you don't understand anything. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for sharing so generously and also looking forward to actually seeing the project Anatomy of 9-8, I'm pretty sure you have a lot of um, already a potential uh, subscribers or uh, attendees of <laughs> whatever is <laughs> gonna happen in actually like a real life. I hope so. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely sure. Uh, but I also wanted to touch a little bit a uh, different, bigger topic uh, of Turkish dance in general, and you have experience of uh, living in the USA and performing teaching in USA and in different regions of the USA. So how popular and how acceptable is uh, or like just common to have the like, Turkish dance among, um, let's first say among belly dancers, like students, like uh, is it popular among students? Is it not the Turkish style in general? Um, thank you very much for asking this question, by the way. Um, first of all, there is an interest and new generation and generation of available dancers and some really do want to learn and um, some really do uh, reach out and try to find the correct information. And um, from my experience, I just want to share personal experience, if you don't mind. Um, so when I... Uh, started and back in Alaska and a long time ago. Um, so I was so thrilled that I was actually dancing and to Turkish music. And so some of the festivals that I would attend and I'll dance as a, in, in Turkish, you know, bring my Turkish music, bring my nine, eight and go on the stage. And, uh, so, um, and at one occasion, uh, one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the well-known artists, that dancer who's the, and a teacher that said to me, uh, well, they're always gonna refer to you as a Turkish token. 
I'm like, what? What is that supposed to mean? Yeah, I, I was like, what? What's that supposed to mean? I don't understand. Um, so what? What this person had said was, well, um, they usually see us Turkish dance to just fill in the blanks. Uh, I just kind of like, I just, it puzzled me a lot because. Um, I don't think this is a correct information, but um, what I think we should do as teachers and dancers in Turkish region and Turkish dance, it doesn't, um, I mean, if you are in love with Turkish dance, along with, um, you know, dances of Azerbaijan, dances of Iran, dances of um, any other region, you know, dances of Egypt, um, dances of Caucasus, I think, um everybody should get an equal representation of their dances. So there's no such a thing of Turkish token or neither, you know, not being recognized well. And again, there was another one occasion. Of course, I said what I needed to say politely and gently. And I, um, and I said, you know, I'm proud very much so to be able to dance, first of all, and dance to a music that's, coming from Turkey and performing Turkish dance and representing Turkish dance. And uh, there was another occasion um, at a workshop environment, actually, oh, there was a slideshow that played and they talked about the uh, Egyptian belly dance and how the belly dance is actually originated from Egypt. And, and um, there was a mention there that um, that Turkish belly dance didn't exist until 1960s. And, and um, so it was like, um, so it was kind of like a heartbreaking to me that because these informations are being shared at a workshop, like festivals, like, you know, big conferences. I think um, there is a 50-50 division in terms of people that who really want to learn a Turkish dance in deep and detail, and then some that who just like, you know, Turkish dance is, they don't really recognize it much. So I think um, it needs a recognition in a larger uh, scale than what it is right now. Why do you think is the situation with Turkish dance? Why? Um, what I why I observe, and this is my opinion again, and that could differ from different people, and I respect their opinion if they say so. Um, I think Turkish dancers um, need to um, really, really advocate for the dance and Turkish dance and Turkish belly dance, Turkish folkloric dance and, and um, educate, educate the larger um, population in terms of have it available for the people that who really wants to learn and Turkish dance. Um, and yeah, so... And uh, historically speaking, like, do you have any information? Uh, because this is another like topic of interest for many ballet dancers. How the ballet dance was developing in Turkey? Uh, was it uh, 
because we have seen like already even like let's say what we refer to golden era movies in Egypt at the same time you already see a lot of Turkish movies shot in the same time with dancers too performing and uh, the styles at some point are like similar but different and some dancers they actually re- refuse to even differentiate or Egyptian ballet dance style, Turkish ballet dance style, saying that it's basically ballet dance is ballet dance, it's just dance to different music. Uh, and some dancers do differentiate, oh yes, there is Egyptian style and yes, there is a Turkish style. Uh, like, what would be your opinion on that? Um, court dances is is the example of the how the Turkish dance and Turkish um, style belly dance has started back in um, Ottoman era. So that will be an example for Turkish Oriental Turkish dances, like um, Turkish belly dance part of it. I have a hesitation to call. Um, like belly dance, but court dances, like Turkish dances. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, uh, is it uh, some dances I heard referring to Chiftetale dance, Turkish Chiftetale dance as a core dance that possibly was sort of prior to belly mm-hmm. dance? Yes, prior to belly dance. So Chiftetale is the prior to belly dance. That's why I say the dance of Turkey has been existed for many years. And um, as far as that, how the Turkish Oriental evolved is, again, um, from my readings and kind of talking with, sharing information with others, dancers around the, um, around Turkey is dances. Mm. Well, uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, uh, information because I think this is the way to spread awareness and spread interest more among dancers and then everyone can find what speaks to their heart uh, regardless of the style or region or whatever but the main uh, sort of key to get a little bit more balanced, let's say, interest is basically spreading as much information as possible. And uh, thank you so much for actively doing it. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) there is so much, uh, so much uh, knowledge already in this, like, what, one hour conversation that I know a lot of dancers now, like, kind of... they they want to listen to you for many many more hours, but they also can't wait now to dig on uh, like internet or try to research and listen to different songs and and understand more. So thank you so much for uh, spending your time. We only scratched, uh, I feel we only scratched uh, uh, several some like some topics, but I also know it's already a lot of information for dance for listeners to be able to digest. So I am looking forward to seeing your project coming to real life and uh, hopefully talking talking even more and deeper about all these nuances and if you before i ask our traditional question of the podcast i also want to ask you where can dancers follow your work and uh, maybe follow your dance activities are you on any social media or youtube or, or somewhere that people may may follow you and wait for announcement about your project 
Yeah, I am actually, um, I do have Instagram page and uh, my Facebook dance page on the works and there is more information coming up pretty soon. And I do have a YouTube channel as well as under Rabia Dance. And uh, with your permission, I'd like to mention something if of course, possible. Yes, yes. Okay, um, I just want to let everyone listening know uh, of a very special and sacred tour to Turkey coming up in the fall of 2020. And um, this is a 12 day sacred journey. And we're going to, we're doing is combining healers, meditation, poetry, ancient temples, including Gobekli Tepe and uh, sacred dance and movements um, by me. So um, I will be teaching um, timeless and unique sacred Turkish dance forms and, um, so I'm really, really excited about it, and uh, it will be incredible. And um, I will love you all to come. Um, it's happening in the fall, <laughs> and I'm part of this tour. And uh, if you, if anyone that who is interested and ready, and know that they're going to have an experience of a lifetime, and I hope that you all join me. And uh, they can contact me at rabiaturkishdance at gmail.com. And um, and I will forward this information to the organizer, Divine Resonance um, Tours. So we will be traveling with a small group, maximum of 10 people. And this space fill up pretty quickly. And this is one of the projects of mine and using dance as healing method. Oh, that's another also like uh, big and important topic, dance as a healing. But this tour, is it be more about like dance as a healing or it will have some elements of uh, uh, Turkish uh, folklore? Or as well. Folklore as well, yeah. Well, I will definitely include uh, links to the show notes so people can easily connect to your social media as well as find out more about the event by the way what are the exact do you know do you remember the exact dates of the event so people can already check their calendars <laughs> it's in uh it was actually um established as fall of 2020 so i don't have like could be in most likely going to be in september late of september but so so just keep an eye on dates and announcements. Keep an eye on dates and I will announce dates. Yes. Uh, that's awesome. Looking forward to that too. And um, well, thank you once again for spending your time and knowledge, share, sharing your knowledge with all of us. Really, really appreciate. And I would love to ask you one uh, very interesting question that we partially talked, uh, but I usually sum up every interview with it. And today I will forward it more to Turkish uh, dance. Uh, you can even specify more like 9-8 uh, music and dances, if you feel so. But the question is, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again? So you keep doing it for so many years. And again, feel free to interpret it more like maybe folklore Turkish dance or 9-8 dances, whatever really speaks to your soul. <laughs> um, I fall in love again and again to the concept of having people around me and connecting with the music in a deeper, deeper, deeper level on stage and um, 
I believe dance has power to bring people together, and I also believe the um, dance is a movement that creates physical, emotional, and mental well-being in general. So that's the reason why I continue to dance, to bring people together and create a healing environment, and also um, advocate for Turkish dance and music. That's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. What stops you from practicing more at home? Typically, it's... uh time, space, money, low motivation, or maybe frustration with what exactly to do. How about solving all this with Yana Dance Club? Don't have time? Each practice drill is only 20 minutes long. It's a complete workout with a special focus on different technique element. And even if you do the suggested bare minimum, you still will see results. And it won't take you more than 20 minutes per session. Have limited space? All drills are actually designed for practice in your home, so it's literally a no-brainer. Struggle with motivation and discipline? How about making your training fun with monthly challenges, cool bonuses and support from a like-minded community of dancers? I promise you'll start looking forward to your practices very soon. Concerned about money? Did you know that the membership starts with only $8 per month? It's less than a regular group class in your local studio or the cost of two Starbucks coffees. But in this case, you actually invest those $8 in a whole month of your dance training. And finally, no more frustration on how exactly to approach your training at home and what to do. You can use those drills as a warm-up or to get into a groove before your longer individual sessions or actually as a complete 20-minute ballet dance workout of the day. Simply follow the suggested plan for your weekly training and push your dance skills to the next level. You can find more information about Yana Dance Club at yanadanceclub.com and start your 7-day free trial today. Once again, visit yanadanceclub.com for more information and to start your weekly ballet dance training today.